0: Good morning. Good to see y'all here. Those of you joining us online, thanks for being here. Uh, Before we jump into the message, I want to connect something for you. Uh, Those of you who are regulars here at Grace Point know that one of the reasons that we get to send as many kids to camp as we do is because we show up here on a Sunday night in March. You guys bring food and you buy it back and then we get to send kids to camp. So I just want to make sure that overpriced cheesecake that you bought wasn't just an overpriced cheesecake. You're, you're helping the next generation find and follow Jesus through environments like camp. So as expensive as it was, as foolish as you felt for spending $400 on a cheesecake, I just want to point you to the reality that God still works in the next generation. He's doing wonderful things and we get to invest in them by giving Pastor Faith and Pastor Jake resources. Uh, to be able to do this kind of thing. So I just want to say thank you again for being a kind of generous church um, that gets to send kids to camp and we see 12 of them fall in love with Jesus and change their life for, for the rest of their life. So thank you for that. And you also need to know this, it's not just the teens, but it's also the kids. We have two kids that are going public through baptism next service. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's a part of who we are as a church. We want to continue to invest in the next generation. Don't buy the press that God is done with generation X and Y because he's not. He's still very much at work. And he's at work through his people. Um, he's at work through his spirit. He's at work through his word and his church. Um, and I'm glad to be a part of a church that sees that and invests in that. So thank you for that. And I'll say that even after my kids are graduated and gone from high school, it's not just because they're there. Okay. Um, all right. Part two of this series that we started last week. If you weren't here with us last week, uh, you're kind of coming in in the middle of the movie. Um, and I just want to get you a little bit of, of, a, of a, a little bit of a, just a head start here. Okay. Last week we said that Jesus invites us to follow him. Um, and, in, and, and, and the, the, to follow Jesus means to, to live in his way, the most comprehensive way possible um, that he taught us to, what his values were, what his kingdom looked like. Um, and he invited people like uh, Peter and James and John and Matthew and, and Bartholomew to, to watch what he did, to listen to what he said, to pray how he prayed, to, to take on the kingdom values of Jesus. And, and as they did that, he wanted them to do all of those things, but he did all of those things in the context of this relationship that was characterized by following and and as they follow, they found themselves drawn to this this second step, our word for today, it's it's believe. Um, And it wasn't necessarily believe in a set of theological principles like we think of it. it. It was to believe in the person of Jesus, to believe in who he claimed to be, the unique son of God, and that he did what he actually came to accomplish, something on their behalf. Another way to think about this, Um, if you want to know what I believe, like really believe, come spend time with me 24-7 for three years, okay? And just so we're clear, that's an illustration, not an invitation. (laughs) I'm just saying, if you want to know who somebody really is and what they really believe, follow them, Spend time around them. See what they do. See how they talk. All of those things. That's, that's what these guys did. And, and they didn't believe in Jesus because of a classroom setting or, you know, all of those educational places where, as, as, as young Jewish boys they would have gone through. That helped. But they started to believe when they got to know who Jesus really was and how he operated and how he thought and how he prayed and how he treated people by, by following him. They, they learned to believe by following, that's the pattern of of the New Testament. That's actually the pattern of how it works even today. And even though that's a simple idea, like we can get that, we're going to look at a very complicated passage of Scripture today, okay? If there are parts of the Bible that you think are difficult to understand, I am about to confirm your suspicion, okay? Um, We're going to go slow, take good notes, underline, highlight, do all that stuff. Go back and read the surrounding chapters when we're done. Uh, journal about it. Pray through it. Get out a commentary and read what people way smarter than me say about it. There's all kinds of ways to, to, to just chew on this. I've heard it my entire life. I'm still chewing on it, okay? So it's complicated, yes, but 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 it, it's so, so good. And i also say this to, to those of you who um, find yourself skeptical. Maybe, maybe you're watching this online because you don't want to come to church. You're skeptical. Um, you have questions about Jesus. This is a great day for you to be here. It's a great day for you to be tuning in because the guy who wrote what we're getting ready to read wasn't just skeptical. He thought Jesus was a liar and a heretic. And anybody who believed in him should be put in jail or killed. That's what he spent the first half of his career doing. He he didn't believe that Jesus' teaching was just an affront to logic. He believed Jesus' teaching wasn't good for society at all. And then he had a personal interaction with the resurrected Christ. And he had a 180-degree turn. Completely changed. He went from persecutor of the church to one of the greatest missionaries and church planters of the church. Not simply because Jesus taught good things. Everybody believes Jesus taught good things. No, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was the unique personal son of God and that he accomplished something on his behalf. So he wrote a letter to some Christians in Rome, which is another insane story. How in the world did Rome ever have Christians? It was illegal to be be a Christian in Rome. It's 1,500 miles from Jerusalem, but there were enough Christians living in Rome about 25 years after the resurrection to write to them and explain the believe part. Explain that to me. How does that happen? Okay, so Romans 3 is where we're gonna be today if you wanna find that in in your Bible or your mobile device. Um, Some scholars believe this is the most important passage in the entire book of Romans. Uh, Martin Luther said this passage was the chief point of Romans and even the whole point of the Bible. Another another scholar, Leon Morris, said, this is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. So even if you don't believe it, I think you should pay attention to this. I think you should pay attention. So, some of you are going to recognize some of this part. Some of you won't. But here we go. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, says this. But now, that means here's something new. But now, apart from the law, and all the Jews went, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean apart from the law, Paul? You... You, you, you can't disconnect the law from anything. You, you can't just throw it out the window and Paul's saying, this is new. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness, underline righteousness, highlight righteousness. Put, put, a, put out to the, I wanna define righteousness for you real quick, just so you'll always know what righteousness means. You're not gonna find this in the dictionary. You probably won't find this in a Bible dictionary. This is just a real simple definition of righteousness. Righteousness is a right standing with God a right standing with God. In the New Testament, that's almost always what it means. It means a right standing with God. And let me tell you about you. I, don't, I might not even know you, but let me tell you about you. You want a right standing with God. You want a right standing with God, even if you don't understand what that means. Even if it's not a, a felt need every single day of your life. You want a right standing with God. You want God to look at your picture on his fridge and say, I'm so glad he and I are good. I'm so glad she and I are in a good place. You want that, and if you don't want it today, let me tell you when you will. When you're on your deathbed, and you're hooked up to all the machines, and your friends and family are around you, and, and you've got a cross, you've got a star of David, you've got your lucky coin, you've got your rabbit's foot, you've got all the stuff because you don't know what's on the other side and you want whoever's meeting you on the other side to have a smile on their face. You will want in my, my term, you will want a right standing with God in that moment. You'll want that. And here's why, rest of the verse. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Now for us, this is old news. For that first century audience, this is, this is new because up until this point, especially Jews, they thought you maintained a right standing with God by keeping the law of Moses, right? And, and if you weren't Jewish, whatever, whatever law you followed, every religion in the world says this to some, some extent. They put forth some law. They put forth some list of things you have to do. And if you do them well enough, if you're good enough, you're accepted by God. The Jews had their list, Greeks had their list, Romans had their list, everybody assumed. To have a right standing with God or the gods, you had to follow the right rules. That was the assumption. The working premise of any religious law says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Or if I obey, I'm accepted. Paul spends two entire chapters explaining why that way of thinking falls short of the human sin problem. He he he, sent, he spends two chapters saying that can never save you. The law, keeping the law, can't save you because see the law, the law is like a thermometer in your house. It can tell you what the temperature is, but it's not a thermostat that changes the temperature. It's a thermometer. The thermometer can tell you how messed up your heart is. The law can tell you how messed up your heart is, but it can't change it. And he's starting to turn the corner from that. And he's saying, there is a thermostat. There is someone who can change your heart. There's a new way, apart from the law, to have a right standing with God, apart from your ability, separate from your ability, to keep the law. Last part of the verse but now apart from the law the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify i cannot i cannot compel you to understand this there's no way to help you fully feel this because we're not first century jews paul is saying all that old testament stuff all that stuff that we learned as boys in betshefar all that stuff that some of us moved up to bet talmud all that stuff we learned i didn't know at the time but all that stuff we were taught and all the stuff that we believed It all pointed to this moment in history. It all pointed to this time in history. I thought the law was the end. And now I realize it's just a means to an end. It was pointing to something greater. It was pointing to something better. Verse 21 is an amazing, paradigm-shifting, life-altering verse for a Jew to understand, especially a Jew like Paul. Is completely outside of how he thought. But he goes on. This righteousness, which means what? Yes, a right standing with God. This right standing with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, here's our word, believe. Believe. God has made a way for all to have a right standing with him, not through the Jewish law, the Greek law, the Roman law, or your own personal law, but through belief, through confidence. Not just intellectual assent, but confidence in Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then he makes this point. Second part of verse 22. You notice I'm talking fast. I had a large iced coffee today before, so hopped up. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. To Paul, Paul is thinking good versus bad. Good versus evil, okay? He's thinking good Jewish boy Peter and tax collector Matthew. Jew versus Gentile. He's saying the righteousness available to everybody. How? Why? Well, because all have sinned. All have sinned. The great equalizer. We've all sinned. We're all in the same bucket. Now, we've not all sinned the same way. You're better than some people and you're worse than others. But all have sinned. And if you don't believe you've sinned, ask your closest relative. They'll give you examples. They got some stories, right? And you have stories and examples and illustrations for them. We've all sinned. Paul says, look, from God's perspective, this is huge. Nobody is born with a right standing with God. And we all eventually prove that whenever we act out of our sinful nature. So everybody has sinned, which means everybody needs to pay attention to this. It's relevant for everybody on earth because we've all sinned. Then he defines it. He kind of gives us a definition of what he means by sin, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. If you take notes, you could say greatness of God. You could say goodness of God, holiness of God. Falling short here basically means Anytime you don't hit the bullseye, an archer, if the archer can't hit the bullseye, he's fallen short, right? And and, and today, (laughs) this is what we do with sin today. We shoot our arrow and then we take the target and we put it around the arrow. That's what we do with sin. We redefine sin. Paul says, no, 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 no. The target, the standard is set. It's true. You can't move it because it's based on God. And anytime you don't hit the center, you've fallen short of the goodness, the greatness, the holiness of God. Here's his point. God is perfect, he's holy, he's righteous, which means the standard is perfection. For Paul, that meant following all 600 plus laws perfectly all the time. That's perfection, that's impossible. Nobody can do that, Pastor Tim. You're right. Nobody can. In fact, God built something into the law because he knew they wouldn't be able to do that. He knew they weren't going to be able to keep the law consistently or well enough, so he built in the sacrificial system. Thousands and thousands of years ago, God built this in, and and the most famous sacrifice from that system, once a year, they take a pure, spotless lamb... They put it on the altar and then the priest or the father of the home takes his hand and places it on the head of the lamb before they sacrifice it. And in that moment, when the representative of the family, when the representative of the community puts his hand on the lamb, according to God, all of their sin is transmitted to that lamb and then they sacrifice it. In fact, this is, the, this is the time the scapegoat, you ever heard the term scapegoat? That's what it is. They let the, they let the scapegoat go out into the wilderness, and they also they send a priest to make sure that the scapegoat doesn't come back into the camp, because that would be awkward. They go throw it off a cliff somewhere, okay? But that's the image. That's the idea. When you extend your hand of faith and place it on the lamb, your sin transmits to that lamb. So, how do you have a right standing with God when the standard is perfection? Paul says it's not going to happen by being good because you're not that good. Can't happen by being that consistent because you're just not that consistent. You can't produce a right standing with God on your own, it's impossible, which is the bad news. But there's good news. All. Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely. This is the, this is the other side of the coin. Now, I need you to put on your, your theological big boy and big girl pants for a second, okay? Martin Luther said the word justified here in this verse is what started the Protestant Reformation. Okay? Um, the Roman Catholic Church in Martin Luther's day taught that justification was a process where God made you righteous by infusing his righteousness into you by, by means of the seven sacraments. Okay? They taught it was by doing those good works that you'd become a good enough person that God would declare you justified. So if you weren't baptized, if you didn't go through confirmation, if you didn't confess enough... If you didn't celebrate Eucharist, all those seven things, if you didn't do those well enough and consistent enough by the time you died, you go to purgatory, where your sin would be purged through you or out of you through fire and suffering. That's where we get the word purgatory because your sin is purged from you. Martin Luther said, that is not what the word justified means. He said, that's not how Paul even uses it in Romans 3 and 4. Justification is a legal declaration that happens all at once. It's not a process where we become righteous. It's a pronouncement where we're declared righteous. Now, there is a process. The process is called sanctification, where we're made holy. But justification, it's a moment in time when God's righteousness is credited to us. Okay? Think about it like this. If I get hauled into court and and the jury decides that I'm innocent of all charges, Judge Judy brings down the gavel and declares me not guilty, okay? In that moment, I'm justified. In that moment, I'm I'm not given a seven-step process to prove that I'm not guilty. The judge declares me innocent all at once and I walk out a free man. That's justification. In Sunday school, I was taught that justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's justification. When I believe, when you believe, when we stretch out our hand of faith, just like the Jewish families in the Old Testament, God justifies me. He justifies you. And his righteousness becomes your righteousness. His righteousness becomes Your righteousness is not something you earn. It's not something you produce. It's a gift that Jesus earned on your behalf. That's why Paul says next, all are justified freely, how? By his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now we don't use that word redemption a whole lot anymore. I'm just gonna admit my immature mind goes to the scene in Dumb and Dumber, where, where Lloyd trades in the van for that moped because it gets better gas mileage, right? Harry says to Lloyd, just when I thought, you couldn't possibly do anything dumber. Come on, you go and totally redeem yourself, right? Again, according to Harry, Lloyd has brought himself back. He's restored, people, I've been waiting to use that line in a message for years. <laughs> so good. And I know I'm 12. I get that. Okay. Maybe you've never seen the movie. If you've never seen the movie, have you ever used a coupon? That's what a coupon is. You're, you're redeeming a useless piece of paper for an Easter ham, right? You're, you're taking something that is worth nothing and you're getting goods and services that you didn't pay for. Jesus paid the price to redeem us, to restore us, to buy us back. We present the coupon of faith. You present your faith. It's useless. It's, it's tiny. It's infinitesimal compared to his grace. But you, you exchange that and you're credited with righteousness. You're credited. You're, you're redeemed. You're bought back. The believe part of Christianity is coming to the point where you go, I get it, I get it, I understand. God sent Jesus, the unique, perfect son of God, to do something on my behalf so God could give me something absolutely free. Now, it wasn't free to him. It's free to you. It's free to me, it's free to us. But it wasn't free to him. He dives further kind of into their Jewish way of thinking in verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood because sacrifice always meant death for for a Jew. You can't have sacrifice without blood. You can't have sacrifice without death. To be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or his patience, he had left the sins committed before unpunished. He's answering a question that you've probably asked before all those first century Christians are going, okay, what about all my relatives that died a year before Jesus showed up? What about Moses? What, what, what about Abraham? I mean, those, those guys never knew Jesus. What about the people of faith in the Old Testament that died before Jesus showed up? The, the, the sins of the Old Testament saints had never been paid for. They'd been unpunished. They'd been passed over. What about them? Paul says, here's here's some great news. The sacrificial lamb was a symbol of what God would ultimately eventually do. In his infinite mercy, he took the death of Jesus and he applied it not only to you, not only to the future sins that will be committed, he applied it to the sins of the people who had faith in him in previous generations. And you say, how in the world does that work? I don't know. I just know that that's how it worked. And then he, Paul, Paul goes on. That's not his main point. He did it. He applied the death of Jesus to all those sins, I love this part, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Paul says, look. See, God. this is the part that we don't like, but you need to hear this. God understands the ramifications of sin God understands the weight, the consequence of sin way better than we do. And He didn't say, okay, let's, let's just dumb it down. Let's, let's make evil good. God can't do that. Psalm 89 14 says that, that justice and righteousness are the throne of God, are the foundation of the throne of God. God cannot dumbed down for him to be righteous for him to be just sin has to be punished and we can't even imagine what God sees on a historical and global scale but when he saw the injustice in your sin when he saw the injustice in my sin the justice in him said I gotta do something about that sin can't go unpunished wrong can't go unaddressed something has to be done and you know what that's in you too That's that's in me too, because there's things that we see and we go, somebody needs to do something about that." that. That cannot go unpunished. And when it does go unpunished, it just bothers us. It drives us crazy. That's the thumbprint of God in your soul. Because we were created in his image. And on a grand scale, on a historical, worldwide scale, God says, something's gotta be done so he was the just and he was the justifier this is the good news this is the gospel there is a way to have a right standing with God not through your performance through what Jesus did on your behalf God was the just something's got to be done God was the justifier he did it God was the just sin has to be addressed God was the justifier he addressed it God was the just somebody's got to pay God was the justifier. He paid through his son. He's the just. He's the justifier. Now, again, here's what I know about you. You want to be justified. You want to be redeemed. You want to be saved. When you understand the weight, when you understand the consequence of sin, you want a right standing with God. The invitation from Jesus is you can have that for free. Wait a minute, I don't have to do anything. No. You can have it for free. Well, if I don't have to do anything, why is the Bible so thick? We're gonna talk about that next week. You gotta come back for me to answer that question next week. Okay? But all of us, we all want a right standing with God. We all want that. And for some of you, you've already done that. You've You've already believed. Some of you remember where you were sitting when you believed. Some of you remember the message. Some of you remember the conversation you had with that friend or that coworker or that neighbor, whatever it was. You remember having that conversation and in that moment, maybe you didn't think about it like this, but in that moment, you placed your hand of faith on the head of the lamb and you said, I believe he's my sin bearer. That's what you did. The hour you first believed. For some of you, this, this, there's been this thing that's been happening in you. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. Um, you've been interested in his teaching. Maybe you even started going to church. And as you've followed, maybe from a distance, you've come to this place where you're thinking, you know what? <laughs> I don't know when it happened, and I'm not even sure, exactly sure how it happened, but I, I'm not resisting anymore. Uh oh, uh oh you you've went from following to believing not believing that 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 Jesus taught good things everybody believes that not that Jesus was a good person now everybody everybody believes that you've started to believe Jesus is who he claimed to be and he did what Paul says he did here in Romans 3 you believe that Jesus is your justifier your redeemer your lamb that came to take away your sin and if that's the case, you're no longer just following. You're, you're believing. And I just want to give you a, a real short list of things that you believe, just so you'll always know. Y- you believe that the, the, the approval of the only one whose opinions about you really matter is God. You believe in a God who fights for you, not against you. You believe in a God who never sleeps Nor slumbers. You believe in a God who knows when even a hair from your head falls to the ground. You believe in a God who prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. (laughs) You believe in a God that is so just, that is so righteous that he would never, ever, ever go back on his promises to you. He will fulfill every single one. You believe in a God that sent his son to take your punishment. You believe in a God that pursued you when you were his enemy so you can rest in the fact that he'll take care of you because now you're his child. And this is what I came to say today do you believe this? Do you believe this? And again, I, get, I know a lot of you do, but for, for those of you, you you've, you've never made the decision to actually believe that, to actually put your confidence in that. See, religion is based on the premise that if I obey well enough, God will declare me righteous. The gospel reverses that. It says, no. No, I, when you place your trust in Jesus, he accepts you and in response to that, you obey. That's the difference between religion and the gospel because humans are really, really good at being religious. We work really hard at keeping rules and Tim, just tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll just do that. But that doesn't change a heart. That's a thermometer, not a thermostat. If you're tired of that, there's a better way and it starts by believing in the person and work of Jesus. And I, I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if some of you are ready to do that today. And I'd love to help you with that. So I wanna pray. I want us to bow our heads and pray this together. If, 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 if you'd say, I've never, never thought about it like this, I've never put my trust in Jesus, sometimes I'll have people repeat a prayer after me, but instead of that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture Jesus on the cross. Engage your imagination. Use the movie, the painting, the picture, the sculpture. And if you've never believed, if you've never taken that step, if you've never thought to take that step, I want you to picture yourself reaching out your hand and placing it on his head. You don't have to say a word. You're reaching out your hand of faith. You're believing he is your sin bearer. You're believing his death covers the sin that separates you from him. Father in heaven, I pray. I pray for anybody who extended their hand of faith to you today. How absolutely humbly to share this experience with them. would you be so gracious to do something in the next next 24 hours? Something that just confirms the decision that they made, that they would see something, read something, hear something, have a conversation. That confirms their belief. And as as they follow, as they continue to believe, Got to pray their confidence in you would grow deeper and deeper, that their belief in you would become richer and richer. And I'll, I'll say this for all of us, those of us who've believed for years or decades thank you. Th- thank you, thank you, thank you for not sending us a list. Thank you for inviting us to follow. And as we do that, we find ourselves believing. We, we believe that Jesus is, in fact, the unique Savior. We believe that he did, in fact, do what we could never do. He made a way. And God, that and that alone is the fuel for our obedience. God, would you help us with this? Would you continue to work? Would you continue to sanctify those of us who have already been declared in a moment? that we righteous before you because of what Jesus has done. He paid it all, all to him we owe. And I pray all these things in his amazing name. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Hey, if you did that, if you extended your hand, I wanna encourage you slash challenge you tell somebody, tell, tell a friend, tell a parent, tell somebody who invited you to come to church today. Tell somebody um, who's, who's watching with you online. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say it, speak it, tell somebody and let them help you take those next steps. All right. Next week is obey. It's the best message out of this entire series. So don't miss it. It's so hard, but it's so good. Okay. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You are dismissed.